Bugsman Show, AlbionRadio.com. Paul Weldon Incident 1946. One of the most high profile disappearances in Burlington Triangle area is that of 19 year old Paul Weldon. The FIA led a search for Weldon, who was rewarded for $5,000 for information leading out to recovery, went out to the public. Last sighting of the Bennington College student had been on the long trail on 1st December 1946. It's the same structural road that the young disappearances, other disappearances, numerous witnesses would call seeing the young girl, but none of them would offer any significant clues. Maybe the strangest statements came from an elderly couple who very well made the last person to see her. They were around a hundred couple yards away, Weldon, when she came to a corner on the trail. trail. They arrived at the same corner a matter of seconds later. My tiny teenager seemingly vanished. Some claim that Weldon had secretly crossed over the American Canada border with a mystery boyfriend. If she had, it must have been a spur of a moment decision. She had taken her clothes, documentation, or any money with her. To this day, she is still missing. According to Koto and others who described the theories as something that will resides in the areas of the United States, Britain was very much a victim of the Burnton Triangle. It is easy to see why many regard this area the United States with caution, especially when you look at the history and listen to the tales of many long natives of the area. Stories of strange activity go back hundreds of years. In 1892, escaped inmate from the asylum, Henry McDowell, seemingly vanished into thin air despite a huge research for him. The search began a relatively short time after he fled the asylum. His apprehension should have been easy. Whether his escape was successful or was he a victim of unknown force behind the strange disappearance remains unknown. Local tribes speak of area being where the means meet. The folklore even tells of a stone that will swallow everything that steps in on it. But these tales, tales describe some kind of portal in the area. Perhaps this portal is naturally a carrying one, something we don't know yet understand. And perhaps some of this reports the first colonists in the area that are most intriguing. They spoke of seeing noise, strange, hearing strange noises coming from woodland and mountains near the settlements. It was also extreme nasty odours and smells. The legends of Benetton, the Benetton Munster. There are many reports of Budfoot fightings in and around the area of Benetton Triangle. As a recently 2003 report of a strange creature with hairy from the top of his head the bottom feet surface. The roots of these types of sightings go back, way back to the early 19th century. The creature that became known as the Bennington Munster. Good legend, one rainy evening in the 1800s, a stagecoach battled its way through the Glenstitcher Mountains. It said he found a way into the road that became known as Route 9. Eventually, the storm grew so bad, the travel became impossible, and the stagecoach came to halt. A driver decided to inspect the area around the coach as well as at houses. It then he noticed something was spooky on them. He also saw tracks in the mud. The markings were not familiar to him. He went to ask the advice of his passengers. As a small party went together outside the carriage, a terrific, a terrific bang knocked against it. Before any of them would gather their thoughts, the stagecoach was lifted from the ground and toppled over, completely over. In front of the terrified people group, 
I stood a large creature, covered in hair, and was a state foot tall. Most telling of all, however, was the red eyes that had pierced each of them. As a monstrously turned its stare to them, it disappeared without another incident. The stories of existence, however, didn't. Bennington Munster is one of the most discussed in folklore circles. Haunted Switzerland, Shefton Hotel, Castle, Ballad, amidst medieval fortress, the shores of Lake Geneva, Amphitheatric Chalodon Castle claims that the house, the ghost, Agagamas de Fluchelgei, a duchess, a member of the House of Savoy. In 2014, a team of paranormal investigators attempted to summon a spirit playing 13th century music. I hope it would have enticed her out of the hiding. I didn't notice a door knock, sharp drop in temperatures, yelling elements in the room, heard footsteps on the floorboards. Above their heads and the team did see the ghost with their own eyes. Zurich, Old Town, Den Dent, who runs the ghost walk at Zurich, tells the story of a man called Hans von Stuffel, who lived in Kinnemann, Fazgasse. He became obsessed with scarves and more money. More and more of them throughout his life, one on top of another. His ghost has supported many, seen many times a strange wide fellow shuffling around long, mortal, narrow alleyways. In twelve years of the tour, I've never seen it, but on some nights when I tell this story, I'm wearing a scarf. I feel as if an extra pair of eyes is watching me from the back of the crowd, then told the locals. Your tours in English take place every Friday. Gothenburg Sanatorium, Tikoro, from its appearance on Manor side near Potrola, is easy to believe this imposing building is haunted, abandoned for decades, is now a state of decay. Built in 1905 for 45 years, a five-story building with its own morgue, morgue was used to treat war wounded when tuberculosis patients, then tuberculosis patients. People report having strange noises emanating from within out of strange phenomena, a curvature to form them. Paranormal reported a huge force was given, driven his car back as he approached the sanatorium. Melden Jail, Melden Jail, Vald. It not, doesn't get much stupider than drunk and dingy prison cells, and to a, a town of Melden, according to his, his offering. Offers, offers a Halloween tour of October 28th. I promise to go and cover the darker side of the Midwestern. Any other prison, Asian prison survivors of the two wild walk, I promise a warming bowl covering soup. Spin it, spin, spin, off Basel. This resistant building in the 16th century was reportedly been haunted for 150 years by the ghost of David Jerez. A Dutchman was given sanctuary in Basel uh, as a religious refugee. Later, Danish co- Dutch colony became very wealthy. After his death, when he was discovered that he actually belonged to the band Antibes sect, his body was exhumed and the head cut off, and the ghost of the headless man accompanied two black dogs who said to roam the building. Medium Alexander Millet visited the spell of last year, reports that made contact with the spirit of Jonas whose head was back on his shoulders. He told me he would not leave until he was rehabilitated by authorities, Malou says. Jungungasi, 54, Bern. This medieval, the medieval alleyways of Bern's old town, a perfect haunting ground, arrests the spirits so 
much so that the city offers regular spooky burn guided tours, roughly one a month in English. By far the creepiest house in Bern is situated on Atkinsgras 54, occupied for decades, a narrow building is said to be haunted by a woman dressed in black, who sometimes appears in a window. In the 1990s, a team of journalists with Swiss Radio International, now Swift Info, visited a house occupied but accompanied by a psycho psychologist. We came to the night for another night and camped out on the floor and steep receiving bags, expecting to feel presence of some kind, but I was quite disappointed because I felt nothing with calls Jenny and Zimbabwe with Swiss Radio and International at the time. Although the evening we were ready and hoping, in fact I ended uh, I ended uh, had a really good s- and deep sleep. Anything that would have been unusual is the f- that I kept thinking of trees and trees were being cut down. Why? I don't know. Maybe the ghost is trying to tell me something. Linsenburg Castle, Akaguru. Dating back to the 12th century, this castle was one of the oldest in Switzerland. The various people and ghost sessions link, link, stories linked with the castle, most commonly told, is that of the haunted bell tower. The tower said that bell is to ring out, said to ring out a full moon, even in the low one at the castle. Basin Tunnel, Basel Land, Siloton. A more modern ghost story is attached to this highway, highway tunnel in the northern Switzerland. Reported sightings of a haunted hitchhiker, a very pale woman again in the 1980s. In two law students obtained picked up the woman in the tunnel entrance. She told him that she was unwell, that something terrible was going to happen. As they were driving through the tunnel, the woman suddenly vanished. Very stoking up, the students went on to nearby hostility. When they recounted the story of the couple that ran it, as necessary two years ago, the couple told Swiss television they were sure the reports hadn't made the, sto- hadn't made the story out. However, there have been no recent report sightings of the white woman. The Val Saturn Hotel, Gubbenhaden, situated in Escalel in Adagon Valley. The Val Saturn was built in 1912, taking advantage of nearby mineral springs. Posey Spa drew in tuberculosis patients from around the world. One of these patients was a Belgian, took up residence in 1927, apparently because it came so attached. So he is now said to be haunted the corridors. Hotel employees have been, become used to Herman, who is regularly seen or heard around the building. Medium Aramanes Malay has visited the hotel numerous occasions. Is on good terms with the mischievous spirit, who is also known to operate lift and open windows as the mood takes him. According to Malay, the Belgian had been in love with a member of staff who complained about being mistreated by the hotel managers. Now he roams the hotel checking up on staff. He always sends a always sends a clear message to the management. So treat staff well, I'll treat you well, Malay told the local paper. The Boma May May Highway 2 had uh, an abduction. One evening during the summer of 1979, Miriam and her mother, Sonia, were driving along their car along Highway 2 at a Bannerman in Puerto Rico. The journey was relatively unventful one. Lights on the other vehicles in front of them theirs was a sea of red eyes, while on the side was Bannerman Commercial Centre. Then, however, Everything changed. It, suddenly, the car pair's surroundings altered directly and strangely. Everything became dark and obscure. Every, even more bizarre, everything seemed to have vanished f- from view. The car felt suddenly 
felt lighter and a strange halting humming noise now filled the air around them. A light headedness came over the two women, leaving them a strange and unsettling frame of mind. One quite being trolled, Sonia would then even appear to go into trance like state. She simply stared right ahead. A blue glow behind an intense white light suddenly got lit up the car's interior. Then, before everything changed again, the car was moving. They were back on the road. A moving slowly came to her senses. She noticed his headlights passing overhead. She was driving the car. She didn't realise she was going to do so until now. Nor could she remember having travelled to the current location, the town of Elberco. After taking a few moments to clear her mind and check her mother was uninjured, Miriam would realise that over two hours had gone by since they encountered a strange humming at Barramon. Only for them it felt a few minutes ago. There was no reflection on the window of missing time. It took me several years until Miriam would finally seek humanistic regression as a way of unlocking those missing hours. When she did, though, the revelations were mind-binding. To say the least, she recalled how everything went dark and around her she could no longer see the road. She could, though, see a bazaar misforming seemingly out of nowhere around the car. There was also humming sound, loud and menacing. It was part of the blue glow filled the car's interior. It an intense white light entered the car from the passage side it in a moment. A mother was employed, enveloped with a glow and disappeared from the vehicle. Miriam now, beyond scared, quickly scanned her surroundings through, through the window like a car above her. It was a metallic grey, silver-grey flying object. Before she could take any more detail, however, another tense white light would enter the car. This time it wrapped around the Miriam would float around the roof of the car as if she didn't it didn't exist. She glanced down and she could see the car was in fact floating high in the sky. Air. This would explain the light feeling. Above her, a door opened to the underside of a huge craft. She was heading towards it. In the opening stood a humanoid figure. She would estimate the humanoid would be around six feet tall, with a particularly slim build and pale white complexion. The head was also somewhat oversized, though the facial features while differing in detail, a larger human-looking, obviously male. His arms, though, were longer than normal, so were the hands and fingers. The closer she got the humanoid at the entrance of the craft, she could see the, the skin was more of greyish-white colour. As she landed on the ship, the humanoid's voice entered her mind, saying, Come on with me, don't be afraid. He would lead her to the inside the craft, assuring her her mother is safe and unharmed. She looked around her. She noticed the walls and white way was a pearly silvery colour. Suddenly a memory seemed to jump forward. She was now in the curved passage. The tall humanoid was still there, as well as several others, shorter creatures. They were around there, three of them tall, three to four feet tall. The passageway would lead into a round chamber. She could see if something kept moving out of one of the walls. When she managed to focus, she could see the sort of seat that comes out from the wall itself. As she moved her eyes from around the room, she couldn't see any joins anywhere. It was as if the room was moulded out of current form, like a metal cave. She had seen more of the silver entities inside the room. She did also see a silver bed, a silver table, like an operating table. Next to the table was a metal tray with some strange instruments on it. 
including something that looks like a compass. Then a voice in the head says, We're looking, going to help you. Suddenly she was on the table with smaller people seemingly following the taller homoid lead, conducting a variety of tests and examinations. The smaller creatures would insert very fine, long metallic rods into various points along the body. A voice in her mind would state this was to improve her overall health. They would also tell her that these rods would take samples of body. They didn't have a explain why. Suddenly one of the small entities approached her with what appeared to be clamps of some kind. They were attached to her legs. As soon as the device touched her, she felt intense energy enter her body and surge through her. She noticed two of the creatures manipulating controls behind a computer panel connected to the device on her legs. A voice would enter her head again. She had, it would claim, bone cancer. The procedure would cure her. After, so shortly after, she noticed one of the small creatures pick up the compass of light object and place it in her forehead, which had prompted flashes to emerge from it. A tall humanoid voice appeared in her mind. It would state that the voice was a deeper known intuition. There were, according to Marion's claims, a regression part report, part of the race who witches them over the continuity of the evolution of wells and races that inhabited them. Humanoid figures would further disclose that they were others resembling those who positions of various world governments. There is an interesting claim that one that was run almost two decades earlier in less known accounts of Albert Cowell. Miriam's mother and Sonia would undergo recess regression and account was very much the same, at least to begin with. So always recalled by Miriam separately from her mother, Sonia would recall a powerful cold blue white light blowing from the car. From her engine she could see a smooth large smooth dark bluish metal thing. She'd last like a big plate hovering above the vehicle. A white light would overcome her, and she would find herself floating up towards a rectangular opening on the underside of a huge metallic object. Once inside, a large little humanoid would lead her to a room with seats that was part of the wall. The next thing she knew, she was lying on a table in the middle of the room. She could see how two other humanoids in there also each donned white glowing white tunics. Each was much taller than a smaller humanoid. Each appeared to be male. Each offered a angelic like faces. Despite their regression, neither one could recall how they ride back to their vehicles. Their vehicle. Each of the neck memories is of coming in their senses as a car with memory driving approaching the town of Acabolo. It's certainly an interesting account and we are set to be genuine and accurate. We appear, appear that the human race described would match those some of the UFO community called the Norics or the Blues. Assuming it's a fidelity is a moment when which one was an invention, the two women lives a powerful one. Or was the selection of random and apparent guiding race of the universe? Here's a video on YouTube called Joan Martin Puerto Rico UFOs, USOs, aliens and secret military bases. Forty years ago, Paul Tindale believed he witnessed what would be described as an alien battle between UFOs, which ended with one crashing on the, uh, onto Earth. It was 9.30 on Tuesday, February 1980. He was at home in South Australian town of Adelgate, 
when his two his twin brother Robert called out from his bedroom. Phil, come and check this out. From the window, taking looking down the valley to Stirling, about twenty minutes about out southwest of Allendale, the two ten year olds saw a bright yellow object bobbing around just above the tree line, about one K away. After a few minutes, Phil saw a second, slightly smaller object appear, missing a red light. It would be in what he describes as almost cartoon-like motion. I zoomed up the yellow object, stopped and reversed, and ended again, as if prompted to direct action. The yellow object then took off with the red objects in pursuit. They zigzagged across the sky like two blue flies, changing direction instantly, with no apparent uncertainty. Insert in vertically and covering distances, he later emphasized to be half a kilometer less than a second. Throughout the chase, which Phil says lasted several minutes, the yellow object would probably stop mid flight and shake back and forth as if caught some invisible force before fleeing inside. Leaving the object made any noise, eventually the object. The yellow object sped off and disappeared behind the hill. The red object was, had also vanished. In total, he played the entire sighting, lasted about 15 minutes. Bob Tyndale confirmed his brother's account. Certainly there were two lights. One appeared to be chasing the other. They both dipped below the horizon, he said. Yes, it was a very memorable thing. The same night, a local farmhand, 24-year-old, Darrell Bowen, Bodick, Branny, reported seeing a speedboat shaped old yellow thing like a half moon crash into the trees near the house farms where he worked. His exact area where the brothers last saw the object. According to the newspaper reports, Mr. Banny told police he was watching the TV at night when his dogs began howling. And they, then they heard the trees smashing, he said. I locked, I locked the kids inside and went in outside with a torch. Mr. Banny shone the flashlight into the trees and saw the object, which was about 25 to 30 feet long, and not emitting a sound or light. He had called the police, but the object had disappeared by the time they arrived. At the time, the police told the media that they were unexplained broken branches and no physical evidence. Mr. Branny was interviewed by investigators for the UFO Research South Australia, and next day, a published a report in the month's UFO Research Australia Newsletter. For Phil, 49, the strange sighting was nothing more than a campfire sign. For over the next 30 years or so, it was not until the 2009 decided to investigate further, revisiting the scene and the crash and delving deeper into the UFO topic. He believes that his sighting is unique, saying he was unable to find virtually any other reports of conflict between UFOs. He says the 100% convinced he saw extraterrestrial and not military aircraft. Over the years, I have done lots of reading and also personal investigation, contacted people one by one. There are loads of people out there who just don't report it, don't talk about it, he said. Not everyone has, has fashionable, compelling sightings, often just lights in the sky, but very significant numbers of sightings, where there's just an object that's so beyond our capability to be, has to be extraterrestrial. Rob said he was probably a bit more conservative when he bothered about certain aspects of the UFO topic, but he had to guess it was that they saw all that night. I tend to, on the extraterrestrial side, certainly in the 80s, 
and even these days, the fact that the objects made will be quick joking moments couldn't have happened with the technology we got, he said. I did that he said hadn't particularly affected him. It was like a, it wasn't like a close encounter. It was like seeing some lights in the sky, just watching like watching the meteorite. Interesting the UFO subject has been revitalized in the past two years since the New York Times published a bombshell article revealing the existence of Pentagon UFO study program. In the same article, a former high ranking UFO Pilot pilot announced chasing a tic tac shape across target's UFO. Phil said Commander David Flavor's description of the object's movement resembled the one that he saw. The instant acceleration, nothing can do unless you master the force of gravity, not using any conventional propulsion. He said, he says he has considered everything in terms of other people's explanations as he saw, but the movements of craft were simply possible for using a conventional propulsion. It must be millions like me who see things but don't report them, he adds. In South Australia, at least, Phil's not alone. UFO sightings have been reported in the States since the 20th century, but the surge during the Cold War. The most famous case was 1988, Incident with Kurt Nell's family, who said they were driving along the moat, kept them playing when a large glowing object, like a large big ball, chased and lifted their car off the ground. Paul Connor from South Australia Astronomical Society said it was still common to get several dozen or hundreds of euro reports a year in South Australia. Probably for every ten cases you get, nine could be explained in mundane terms. Miss Cadell told the ABC last year, quite often people put a little silver dot in the sky, and it turned out to be an aircraft. A lot of these things are like planes, satellite planets, even searchlights, sometimes can all add to what people are reporting. The puppy in the basement. Tell me, tell me, never go in the basement. I would see what was making that noise. It just sounded like a puppy. I wanted to see the puppy, so I opened the basement door and tipped down down a bit. I didn't see a puppy. Then when Mummy yanked me out of the basement and yelled at me. Mummy never yelled at me before. It made me cry, sad and cried. Then Mummy told me never to go to the basement again. She gave me a cookie. It made me feel better. So I didn't tell her that why the boy in the basement was making noises like a puppy, or why he had no hands or feet. Nunchucks. Michael Forrett Young had a young, uh, strange appearance when a two-year-old daughter submitted this. When my two-year-old daughter two, I brought her twirling paper towel tubes tied with twine and air and asked her what she was doing. He said she was practicing her nunchucks. I was very confused. There's no way of knowing what they were. I asked what she meant. And she said to Adam, I told her to make them and show her, uh, her each night how to use them. She went she went on to say, Adam, I told her to practice because she needed to know how to defend herself someday. Always freaked out, almost freaked out, but asked her what Adam looked like. She said he was tall, blonde, and bad blue eyes, he said. Mummy, you know how he looks. You know him. He died of a headache. I had to leave room. You see, four months before he bombed, my tall, blue-eyed martial arts pro boyfriend had died of aneurysm at the age of 27. She never spoken to him that, that, since that day, so I'm not sure if it scared her with my reaction or if she completed her lessons. 
There's someone under the bed. Sometimes the very short stories are the best. I've been tucking into the bed, and he tells me, Daddy, ten for months under my bed. I looked underneath for his moment, and did see, and did see him, another him, under the bed, staring back at me, quivering, whispering, Daddy, there's someone on my bed. The chair. When my sister, Betsy, and I were kids, our family lived in a while with a charming old farmhouse. We loved exploring in dusty corners and chatting with the apple tree in the backyard. Our favourite thing was a ghost. We called her mother, because she seemed so kind and nurturing. Some mornings Betsy and I wake up on each of these state night stands. We find a couple that wasn't the night before. Mother left them. We were worried we got it thirsty during the night. She wanted to take care of us. Around the homes of original furnitures got was a wooden chair. We kept against the back of the wall, the living room. Whenever we were preoccupied watching TV, playing a game, Mother would inch the chair forward, cross the room towards us. Sometimes she managed to move it all the way to the centre room. We always felt sad putting it back against the wall. Mother just wanted to be near us. Years later, long after we moved out, I found an old newspaper article from about the new town. Farmhouse original occupant, a widow. She murdered her two children by giving them a cup of poisoned milk before bed. She, then she hung herself. The article included a photo of the farmhouse living room. The woman's hanging from a beam. Beneath her, not over, was the old wooden chair, placed exactly in the centre of the room. Did it just get cold in here? Was it just me? You've been listening to the Ghostman Show on AlbionRadio.com. We present a Anthony Reigns, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Good night. Thank you for listening. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. This is the end of this show. This tape will not self-destruct, as in Mission Impossible, or perhaps it will. So, this tape will not self-destruct in 8, 9, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 seconds. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. Ghostman Show, AlbionRadio.com. Weldon incident in 1946. One of the most high disappearances, disappearances in Burlington Triangle area is that of 19-year-old Paula Weldon. The FBI led a search for Weldon. It was reward for $5,000 for information leading out to recovery went on to the public. Last sighting of the Burlington College student been on the long trail on 1st December 1946. It's the same structural road that the young disappearances. Other disappearances. Numerous witnesses were called seeing the young girl, but none of them would offer any significant clues. Maybe the strangest statements came from an elderly couple who very well made the last person to see her. They were around a hundred yards away, Brandon, when she came to a coma on the trail. trail. They arrived at the same corner a matter of seconds later. My tiny teenager seemingly vanished. Some claim that Weldon had secretly crossed over the American Canada border with a mystery boyfriend. If she had, it must have been a spur of a moment decision. She had taken her clothes, documentation, or any money with her. To this day, she is still missing. According to Koto and others who described the theories of something that worldly suicide in the areas of the United States, Burnham was very much a victim of the Burnton Triangle. It is easy to see why many regard this area the United States with caution, especially when you look at the history and listen to the tales of many long natives of the area. Stories of strange activity go back hundreds of years. In 1892, 
escaped inmate from the asylum, Henry McDowell, seemingly vanished into thin air despite a huge research for him. The search began a relatively short time after he fled the asylum. His apprehension should have been easy. Whether his escape was successful or was he a victim of the unknown force behind the strange disappearance remains unknown. Local tribes speak of area being where the means meet. The folklore even tells of a stone or swallow everything that steps in on it. But these tales, tales describe some kind of portal in the area. Perhaps this portal is naturally occurring one. Something we don't know yet understand. And perhaps some of this reports as first colonists in the area that are most intriguing. They spoke of seeing noise, strange, hearing strange noises coming from woodland and mountains near the settlements. It was obviously to stream nasty odours and smells. The legends of the Benetton Munster. There are many reports of Bedford fightings in and around the area of Benetton Triangle. As a recently 2003 report of a strange creature with hairy from the top of its head to bottom feet surface. The roots of these types of sightings go back, way back to the early 19th century. The creature that became known as the Bennington Munster. According to the legend, one rainy evening in the 1800s, a stagecoach battled its way through the Glenstitcher Mountains. It steadily found a way into the road that became known as Route 9. Eventually, the storm grew so bad, the travel became impossible, and the stagecoach came to halt. A driver decided to inspect the area around the coach as well as the houses. It then he noticed something was spooky on them. He also saw tracks in the mud. The markings were not familiar to him. He went to ask the advice of his passengers. As a small party went to gather outside the carriage, a, terif- a terrific bang knocked against it. Before any of them would gather their thoughts, the stagecoach was lifted from the ground and toppled over, completely over. In front of the terrified people group stood a large creature covered in hair and was a state foot tall. Most chilling of all, however, was the red eyes that had pierced each of them as a monstrously turned its stare to them. It disappeared without another incident. Stories of existence, however, didn't. Bennington Munster is one of the most disgusted folklore circles. Haunted Switzerland, Shefton Hotel Castle, Ballad, a medieval fortress, the shores of Lake Geneva, Amphatic Chaladon Castle claims that the house the ghost Agagamas da Fluchy, a duchess, a member of the House of Savoy. In nineteen fourteen a team of paranormal investigators attempted to summon a spirit playing thirteenth century music, hoping it would entice her out of the hiding. Lodi noticed a door knock, drop, drop in temperatures, yelling elements in the room, heard footsteps on the floorboards. Above their heads and the team did see the ghosts with their own eyes. Zurich Old Town, Den Dent, who runs the ghost walk at Zurich, tells the story of a man called Hans von Stuffel, who lived in Kinnemann, Fazgasse. He became obsessed with scarves and more money. More and more of them throughout his life, one on top of another. His ghost is supported many, seen many times a strange, wide fellow, shuffling around long, mortal, narrow alleyways. In twelve years of the tour, I've never seen it, but on some nights when I tell this story, I'm wearing a scarf. I feel as if an extra pair of eyes is watching me from the back of the crowd, then told the locals. 
Your tours in English take place every Friday. Gothenburg Sanatorium, Tikoro, from its appearance on Manorside near Potola, is easy to believe this imposing building is haunted, abandoned for decades, is now a state of decay. Built in 1905 for 45 years, a five-story building with its own morgue, morgue was used to treat war wounded when tuberculosis patients, then tuberculosis patients. People report having hearing sounds and noises emanating from wind out of strange phenomena, a cover-tube to form them. Paranormal reported a huge force was given, driven his car back as he approached the sanatorium. Merlin Jail, Merlin Jail, Vald, it not, doesn't get much stupider than drunk and dingy prison cells and to a, a town of Merlin, according to his offering, offers, offers a Halloween tour of October 28th. I promise to go and cover the darker side of Merlin. Ending up the prison, Asian prison survivors of the two hour walk, I promise a warming bowl covering soup. Spinnets. Spin ways off Basel. This resistant building in the sixteenth century was reportedly been haunted for hundred and fifty years by the ghost of David Jerez, a Dutchman who was given sanctuary in Basel uh, as a religious refugee, led a Danish co- Dutch colony, became very wealthy. After his death, when he was discovered that he'd actually belonged to the band Antibes sect, his body was exhumed and the head cut off and the ghost of the headless man accompanied two black dogs is said to roam the building. Medium Alexander Millet visited the spell of last year, reports that made contact with the spirit of Jonas, whose head was back on his shoulders. He told me he would not leave until he was rehabilitated by authorities, Millet says. Jungungasi, 54 Burn, this medieval... The medieval uh, alleyways of Burns Old Town, a perfectly haunting ground for restless spirits, so s- much so that the city offers regular spooky burn guided tours, roughly one a month in English. By far the creepiest house in Burn is situated on at Gutengast 54, occupied for decades, a narrow building said to be haunted by a woman dressed in black, who sometimes appears in a window. In the 1990s, a team of journalists with Swiss Radio International, now Swift Info, visited a house occupied but accompanied by a psychologist. They came to another night and camped out on the floor and steep receiving bags, expecting to feel presence of some kind, but I was quite disappointed. Because I felt nothing, we called Jenny and Zimbabwe with Swiss Radio International at the time. Although in the evening we were ready and hoping, in fact, I ended. Uh, I ended uh, had a really good s- and deep sleep. Anything that had been unusual is if, uh, that I kept thinking of trees and trees were being cut down. Why? I don't know. Maybe the ghosts are trying to tell me something. Linsenburg Castle, Akaguru. Dating back to the 12th century, this castle was one of the oldest in Switzerland. The various people and ghost sessions linked link, stories linked with the castle. Most commonly told is that of the haunted bell tower. The tower said that bell was to ring out said to ring out a full moon even in the low one at the castle. Bastentan Tunnel, Bas- Basel Land Siloton. A more modern ghost story is attached to this highway highway tunnel in the northern Switzerland. Reported sightings of haunted hitchhiker, a very pale woman again in the nineteen eighties. Nineteen eighty three two law students obtained 
picked up the woman in the tunnel entrance. She told him that she was unwell, that something terrible was going to happen. As they were driving through the tunnel, the woman suddenly vanished. Very stoking up, the students went on to nearby hostility. When they recounted the story of the couple that ran it, as necessary two years ago, the couple told Swiss television they were sure the reports hadn't made the, sto- hadn't made the story up. However, there were no recent report sightings of the white woman. The Val Saturn Hotel, Gubbenhaden, situated in Escalel in Edegon Valley. The Val Saturn was built in 1912, taking advantage of the nearby mineral springs. Spa drew in tuberculosis patients from around the world. One of these patients was a Belgian, took up residence in 1927, apparently because it came so attached. So he is now said to be haunted the corridors. Hotel employees have become used to Herman, who is readily seen or heard around the building. Medium Ernest Malay has visited the hotel numerous occasions. Is on good terms with the mischievous spirit, who is also known to operate lift and open windows as the mood takes him. Quite a Malay, the Belgian had been in love with a member of staff who complained about being mistreated by the hotel managers. Now he roams the hotel checking up on staff. He always ten- sends a clean- always sends a clear message to the management. So treat yourself well, I'll treat you well, Malay's told the local paper. The Boma May May Highway 2 uh, had an abduction. One evening during the summer of 1979, Miriam and her mother, Sonia, were driving along their car along Highway 2 at a Panaman in Puerto Rico. The journey was relatively uneventful one. Lights on the other vehicles in front of them theirs was a sea of red eyes, while on the side was Panaman Commercial Centre. Then, however, Everything changed. It, suddenly, the car pairs surroundings altered directly and strangely. Everything became dark and obscure. Every, even more bizarre, everything seemed to have vanished f- from view. The car felt suddenly felt lighter and a strange, halting, humming noise now filled the air around them. A light headedness came over the two women, leaving them a strange and unsettling frame of mind. One looked quite being trolled. Sonia would then even appear to go into trance-like state. She simply stared right ahead. A blue glow in, in behind an intense white light suddenly got lit up the car's interior. Then, before everything changed again, the car was moving. They were back on the road. A moving slowly came to her senses. She noticed headlights passing overhead. She was driving the car. She didn't realise she was going to do so until now. Nor could she remember having travelled to the current location, the town of Elberco. After taking a few moments to clear her mind and check her mother was uninjured, Miriam would realise that over two hours had gone by since they encountered a strange humming at Barramon. Only for them it felt a few minutes ago. There was no recollection of the window of missing time. It took me several years until Miriam would finally seek humanistic regression as a way of unlocking those missing hours. When she did, though, the revelations were mind-binding, to say the least. She recalled how everything went dark, and around her she could no longer see the road. She could, though, see a bizarre mist forming, seemingly out of nowhere, around the car. There was also a humming sound, loud and menacing. It was part of the blue glow filled the car's interior. It was an intense white light entered the car from the passage side. It moment, in a moment, a mother was employed, enveloped 
with a glow and disappeared from the vehicle. Miriam now, beyond scared, quickly scanned her surroundings through, through the window like a car above her. It was a metallic grey, say, silver grey flying object. Before she could take any more detail, have another tense white light would enter the car. This time it wrapped around the Miriam, who had floated around the roof of the car, as if she didn't it didn't exist. She glanced down and she could see the car was in fact floating high in the sky. There. Yeah, this would explain the light feeling. Above her, a door opened to the underside of a huge craft. She was heading towards it. In the opening stood a humanoid figure. She would estimate the humanoid would be around six feet tall, with a particularly slim build and pale white complexion. The head was also somewhat oversized, though the facial features, while differing in detail, are largely human-looking, or obviously male. His arms, though, were longer than normal, so were the hands and fingers. The closer she got the humanoid at the entrance of the built craft, she could see the, the skin was more of greyish-white colour. As she landed on the ship, the humanoid voice entered her mind saying come on with me don't be afraid he would lead her to inside the craft assuring her her mother's safe and unharmed she looked around her she noticed the walls and white valley was a pearly silvery color suddenly a memory seemed to jump forward she's now in the curved passage the tall humanoid was still there as well as several others short of creatures they were around there three of them tall three to four feet tall Passageway would lead into a round chamber. She could see if something kept moving out of one of the walls. When she managed to focus, she could see the sort of seat that comes out from the wall itself. As she moved her eyes from around the room, she couldn't see any joins anywhere. It was as if the room was moulded out of the current form, like a metal cave. She had seen more of the silver entities inside the room. She did also see a silver bed, a silver table, like an operating table. Next to the table was a metal tray with some strange instruments on it, including something that looks like a compass. Then a voice in her head says, We're looking, going to help you. Suddenly she was on the table with smaller people seemingly following the taller homoid lead, conducting a variety of tests and examinations. The smaller creatures would insert very fine, long metallic rods into various points along the body. A voice in her mind would state this was to improve her overall health. They would also tell her that these rods would take samples of body. They didn't have a explain why. Suddenly one of the smaller entities approached her with what appeared to be clamps of some kind. They were attached to her legs. As soon as the device touched her, she feel intense energy enter her body and surge through her. She noticed two of the creatures manipulating controls behind a computer panel connected to the device on her legs. A voice would enter her head again. She had, it would claim, bone cancer. Procedure would cure her. After, so, shortly after, she noticed one of the small creatures pick up the compass of light object and place it in her forehead, which had prompted flashes to emerge from it. A tall humanoid voice appeared in her mind. It would state that the voice was a deep unknown intuition. There were, according to Marion's claims, the regression part report, part of the race who witches them over continuity of the evolution of wells and races that inhabited them. Humanoid figures would further disclose that they were others resembling those who positions of various world governments. There is an interesting claim that one that was run almost two decades earlier 
and less known accounts of Albert Cowell. Miriam's mother and Sonia would undergo recess regression and account was very much the same, at least to begin with. So all that was recalled by Miriam separately from her mother, Sonia, we were caught a powerful, cold, blue, white light blowing from the car. From her engine, she could see a smooth, large, smooth, large, bluish metal thing. She laughed like a big plate hovering above her vehicle. The white light would overcome her, and she would find herself floating up towards the rectangular opening on the underside of a huge, metallic object. Once inside, a large little humanoid would lead her to a room with seats that was part of the wall. The next thing she knew, she was lying on a table in the middle of the room. You see how two other humanoids in there also each donned white glowing white tunics. Each was much taller than a smaller humanoid. Each appeared to be male. Each offered a angelic like faces. Despite their regression, neither one could call or how they ride back to their vehicles. Their vehicle. Each of their neck memories is of coming in their senses as a car remembering driving approaching the town of Acabello. It's certainly an interesting account, and we are set to be genuine and accurate. We appear, appear that the humanoids described would match those some of the UFO community called the Norics or the Blues. Assuming it's a fidelity is a moment when which one was an invention, the two women's lives a powerful one. Or was the selection of random and apparent guiding race of the universe? Here's a video on YouTube called Joe Martin, Portugal, Puerto Rico, UFOs, USOs, aliens, and secret military bases. Forty years ago, all Tindale believed he witnessed what would be described as an air battle between UFOs. Descended to which one crashing on the, uh, onto Earth. It's 9.30 on Tuesday, February 1980. He was at home in the South Australian town of Adelgate. Two, his twin brother, Robert, called out for his bedroom. Phil, come and check this out. From the window, taking, looking down the valley to Stirling, about 20 minutes about out southwest of Allendale, the two ten-year-olds saw a bright yellow object bobbing around just above the tree line about 1k away. After a few minutes, Phil saw a second, slightly smaller object appear, missing a red light. It would be in what describes as almost cartoon-like motion. It zoomed up the yellow object, stopped and reversed, and ended again, as if prompted direct action. The yellow object then took off with the red objects in pursuit. They zigzagged across the sky like two blue flies, changing direction instantly, with no apparent inverter and covering distances he later emphasized to be half a kilometre less than a second. Throughout the chase, which Phil says lasted several minutes, the yellow object would probably stop mid-flight and shake back and forth as if caught some invisible force before fleeing inside. Neither the object made any noise. Eventually the object, the yellow object, sped off and disappeared behind the hill. The red object was, had also vanished. In total, he made the entire sighting lasted about 15 minutes. Bob Tyndale confirmed his brother's account. Certainly there were two lights. One appeared to be chasing the other. They both dipped below the horizon, he said. It was a very memorable thing. The same night, a local farmhand, 24-year-old, 
Darren Bowen, Bodick, Branny, reported seeing a speedboat shaped old yellow thing like a half moon crash into the trees near the house farms where he worked. His exact area where the brothers last saw the object. According to the newspaper reports, Mr. Branny told police he was watching the TV at night when his dogs began howling. And they, then I heard the trees smashing, he said. I locked, I locked the kids inside and went in outside with a torch. Mr. Branny shone the flashlight into the trees and saw the object, which was about 25 to 30 feet long and not emitting a sound on the light. He had called the police, but the object had disappeared by the time they arrived. At the time, the police told the media that they were unexplained broken branches and no physical evidence. Mr. Branny was interviewed by investigators for the UFO Research South Australia, and the next day, a published a report in the month's UFO Research Australia newsletter. The Phil 49, the strange sighting was nothing more than a campfire sign, but over the next 30 years or so, it was not until in 2009 he decided to investigate further, revisiting the scene and the crash and delving deeper into the UFO topic. He believes that his sighting is unique, as saying he was unable to find virtually any other reports of conflict between UFOs. He says the 100% convinced he saw extraterrestrial and not military aircraft. Over the years, I have done lots of reading and also personal investigation, contacted people one by one. There are loads of people out there who just don't report it, don't talk about it, he said. Not everyone has, has fashionable, compelling sightings, often just lights in the sky, but very significant numbers of sightings, where there's just an object that's so beyond our capability to be, it has to be extraterrestrial. Rob said he was probably a bit more conservative when he bothered about certain aspects of the UFO topic, but he had to guess it was that they saw all that night. I tend to, on the extraterrestrial side, certainly in the 80s and even these days, the fact that the objects made were very quick joking moments couldn't have happened with the technology we got, he said. Added that he hadn't particularly affected him. It was like a, it wasn't like a close encounter. It was like seeing some lights in the sky, just watching, like watching a meteorite. Interesting, the UFO subject has been revitalized in the past two years since the New York Times published a bombshell article revealing the existence of Pentagon UFO study program. In the same article, a former highest-ranking UFO. Pilot pilot announced chasing a tic tac shape across target's UFO. Phil said Commander David Flavor's description of the object's movement resembled the one that he saw. The instant acceleration, nothing can do unless you master the force of gravity, not using any conventional propulsion. He said, he says he has considered everything in terms of other people's explanations as he saw, but the movements of craft were simply impossible for using an conventional propulsion. It must be millions like me who see things but don't report them, he adds. In South Australia, at least, Phil was not alone. UFO sightings have been reported in the States since the 20th century, but the surge, surge during the Cold War. The most famous case was 1988, Incident with Kurt Nell's family, who said they were driving along the remote Kenema plane when a large glowing object, like a large big ball, chased and lifted their car off the ground. Paul Kenema from South 
Australia Astronomical Society said it was still common to get several dozen or hundreds of year reports a year in South Australia. Probably not. for every ten cases you get, nine could be explained in mundane terms. Miss Cadell told the ABC last year, quite often people put a little silver dot in the sky and it turned out to be an aircraft. A lot of these things are like planes, satellite planets, you searchlights, sometimes can all add to what people are reporting. The poppy in the basement. Mummy told me never to go in the basement. I would see what was making that noise. It just sounded like a puppy. I wanted to see the puppy. So I opened the basement door and tipped down down a bit. I didn't see a puppy. Then when Mummy yanked me out of the basement and yelled at me. Mummy never yelled at me before. Made me cry, sad and cried. Then Mummy told me never to go to the basement again. She gave me a cookie. It made me feel better. So I didn't tell her that why the boy in the basement was making noises like a puppy. Or why he had no hands or feet. Nunchucks. Michael Furrett Young had a young, uh, strange appearance when a two-year-old daughter submitted this. When my two-year-old daughter two, I brought her twirling paper towel tubes tied with twine and air and asked her what she was doing. He said she was practicing her nunchucks. I was very confused. There's no way of knowing what they were. I asked what she meant and she said to Adam I told her to make them and show her, uh, her each night how to use them. She went, she went on to say Adam had told her practice because she needed to know how to defend herself someday. Always freaked out, almost freaked out, but asked her what Adam looked like. She said he was tall, blonde and bad blue eyes, he said. Mummy, you know how he looks, you know him. He died of a headache. I had to leave room. You see, four months before he bombed, my tall, blue-eyed, martial arts pro-boyfriend had died of aneurysm. At the age of 27, she'd never spoken to him that, that, since that day, so I'm not sure if it scared her with my reaction or if she'd completed her lessons. Here's someone under the bed. Sometimes the very short stories are the best. I've been tucking into the bed, and he tells me, Daddy, ten for months is under my bed. I looked underneath his moment and did see, and did see him, another him, under the bed, staring back at me, quivering, whispering, Daddy, there's someone on my bed. The chair. When my sister Betsy and I were kids, our family lived in a in a charming old farmhouse. We loved exploring in dusty corners and charming the apple tree in the backyard. Our favourite thing was a ghost. We called her mother, because she seemed so kind and nurturing. Some mornings Betsy and I wake up on each of these state night stands. We find a couple that wasn't the night before. Mother left them, were worried we got it thirsty during the night. She wanted to take care of us. Around the homes of original furnishes got was a wooden chair. We kept against the back of the wall of the living room. Whenever we were preoccupied watching TV, playing a game, mother would inch the chair forward, cross the room towards us. Sometimes she managed to move it all the way to the centre room. We always felt sad putting it back against the wall. Mother just wanted to be near us. Years later, long after we moved out, I found an old newspaper article from about the news at Palmhouse Original Occupant. A widow, she murdered her two children by giving them a cup of poisoned milk before bed. She, then she hung herself. The article could have photo of the farmhouse living room. The woman's hanging from a beam. Beneath her, knocked over, was the old wooden chair, placed exactly in the centre of the room. Did it just get cold in here? 
was it just me? You've been listening to the Ghostman Show on AlbionRadio.com for your presenter, Mark Anthony Reigns. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Good night. Thank you for listening. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. This is the end of this show. This tape will not self-destruct as if mission impossible, or perhaps it will. So, this tape will not self-destruct in eight, nine, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one seconds. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. The Ghostman Show on AlbionRadio.com The Mysterious Night Demons of Tasmania Very strange feature of the paranormal in Africa origins and the Isles of Zambia, Acapello, a semi-autonomous region in Tanzania. There is said to prowl a shape-shifting demonic entity. Locals call the Popo Bara, a Swahili word that actually translates as backwing. The creature is said to be able to take both human animal forms as well as more nightmarish and surreal forms. One of its favourite manufacturers seems to be that of a large bat. With pointy ears, a single eye in the centre of its head, and a phenomenal talons in its fingers. Its presence is said to be heralded of an intense superfluous odour. These are the creatures that stalk the night, the feed off of the unsuspecting, and which have kept the people of rural Tasmania held in the grip of fear. A popo bora is said to be decidedly malevolent in entity. It revels in tormenting human beings, in particular swiftly targeting those who don't believe it, in it. If one is lucky, it, it will merely manifest protocols like phenomenon, but it is just as likely to physically attack its victims of breathless violence. With one of its favourite tactics being to sit upon the person's chest to slowly crush, suffocate them. Perhaps even more menacing still, there is that this form of demon is said to be in many ways like an incubus or succubus. Feeling off sexual energy that derives from raping its victims, usually sodomizing men, but sometimes targeting women as well. Many tales of demons suppose encourage its victims to tell others of what they have experienced, fanning panic and the possible feeding into the fear of this generates. The demon typically is said to have go about its dark deeds at night, coming to people as they sleep and are helpless. The precise origins of these entities is unclear, but a popular idea is that they were dingy, conjured up by a sheik to wreak havoc on those who wronged or offended him. After the which he lost control, there came a freedom run amok. Other ideas are the ghosts of the former slaves during the days of Zambia's promise as an Arabian slave trading port, or they were with they are witches, warlocks, or even evil spirits. Whatever they are, it's certain all sounds like they are the most surely be spooky folklore. But the region where these demons are said to prowl, they are thought to be very real, and numerous accounts of scared locals encountering them. One of the most famous modern cases of an incident involving a popo boa. Suppose it occurred in 1971 when a village girl was allegedly attacked possessed by one of the entities. The girl was reported speaking in a gruff, deep male voice, as well as losing the smell of sulphur and causing a sound like a car revving to emulate from the rooftops. The villagers insisted it was going. It was the doing of Papa Boa. 
and apparently took a powerful shaman, a goat sacrifice, to cast it out. At around the same time, there's a spate of sightings of the creature, lurking around the back reports of attacks, causing a mass hysteria at the time, during which people were afraid to leave their homes, and armed men kept sentry outside of the houses and patrolled the streets at night. Interestingly, this mass panic continued up until the assassination of Zambia president in 1972, after which the demon counters dropped off. Sightings attacked by alleged demons tend to come in waves, and though always being mass, and always being mass hysteria with them. After the 1970s, another such panic happened in 1995, when terrified villages on the island of Ugore claimed that one of the creatures terrorised him, often appearing as a naked humanoid, with a tail carrying a jar of medicine. It's thought to be entering houses to attack locals and hospitals, emitting numerous people with broken bones and other injuries were attributed to the beast. Hysteria got so bad that the murdering mob of armed men claimed to have, been, have attacked and stabbed a demon, but it was a it had escaped a continuous rampage. Typically, a mentally ill man was allegedly killed by a mob who was after, after, by a mob after fingers were pointed at him for being a culprit. One purported victim of a demon this time was a local farmer named Mescalone Hamed, who explains of his encounter. I could feel it sometimes pressing on me. I couldn't imagine what sort of thing had happened to me. As I feel it, I feel as if you're screaming with no voice. It's just like a dream. But I, then I was thinking, it was this Papa Baba. He'd come to do something terrible to me, something spiritual, sexual. It's the worst at what he does to a woman. I don't believe in spirits, so, so maybe that's why it attacked me. Maybe it will attack some, anyone who does not, doesn't believe. Oddly, like the 1970s mass panic, 1995 incident coincided with political turmoil, being doing a further fiercely contested election in Zambia at the time. Continuous elections and resulting in civil rights arrests, 2000 and 2001, also ground zero for Papua sightings. However, this was not always the case as a major panic. Also happened in 2007, when sacred men in the dust that Sassaliam, on the west mainland coast of Tasmania, began telling of the help being ruefully summarised in his sleep by Anthony, forcing them to sleep in groups, uncover themselves in big oil, which they believed warded off it off. At a time, there's no election to progress. What are we dealing with here? This is something of a genuine supernatural phenomenon. Or is it something else? The fact that many ways of Pomboana accounts occur during elections has caused some to suggest a myth may be used as a political tool and to sow unrest among the superstitious populace. This is not the ideal that it, it's just a legend that's sort of gotten out of hand and could also be just a manufacturer of sleeping polaris, also known as old hag syndrome, in which people is caught between walking and dreaming state and has hallucinations, quite often including chest shadow figures and senses of something sitting on their chest. Yet, many of the locals in the area where Hapa Boa was found insist 
that these demons are not re- very real, not just myths and stories. However, they may, whatever they may be, superintendencies are merely deserts of superstition. Your imagination, the fear they generate, even in the modern times, is very real. A terror polo boa lives on. Boas are often mentioned, especially in relation to paranormal. But rarely do we see a good explanation re- explaining what they are. People said to have good or bad auras, or auras reflecting certain emotions. But how can you see? How can those who cannot cannot see an aura see? An aura is a subtle light surrounding a person, object, example. May may be familiar with his halo religious art. The aura is often used in religious art to identify a person or people of particular power or holiness. Interestingly, aura is depicted in religious art. In almost all religions and examples can even be seen of historic pent- pentaglyphs. Religion aside, many believers that every object living has not had an auras, whether it is visible or to the others, or may depend on innate ability to whether the person seeing it has some particular training in seeing auras. Auras are said to be ranged from a simple glow to inanimate objects as more complex interplay of colours surrounding a human. There can be layers of auras, each of their own colours. Some associate the colours with various personality traits, or even expression of a person's emotions. Of course, as many uh, as everything else, sketches abound. There are many suggest that many of you will see auras during my brains, epilepsy, sympathasia, neurological decision with those stimulating one sense leads to the experience of another sense. Such as people who experience colours of cut sounds, visual disorders, brain disorders, eye fatigue and the influence of psychedelic drugs such as LSD. But regardless of what sceptics think, people have seen auras throughout history, regardless of the time period of the culture, particularly in religious contexts. In Middle East, auras have traditionally been associated with enlightenment. In the, the prophet Zulkaster, who founded a Zulmasium in ancient Iran 3,500 years ago, is said to have been shone with the Kura, aura. In Islam, the prophet Mohammed is depicted with Fora, aura, through images of few. Auras are seen depicted in Eastern religions. In Buddhism, the enlightened Buddha is something it's sometimes shown the colours around him to demonstrate his enlightenment. Both Hinduism and Buddhism, a person's aura colours are often linked with eternal energy and the chakras. In Jizanism, Dhanism, there is a belief that the soul reflects the colours in a karmic manner it associates with. Each person's colour varies depending on the psychic states of mental activities behind an action. The halo of light is often a feature of the Christian art through the world. Oh. Aura is often used to describe several times. Examples Acts 1 and 14 gives this account that, look, that took during the Feast of Pentecost and suddenly there came a sound from the heavens of a rushing wind. It filled all the house while they were sitting, and they appeared into the, their cloven tongues, like as fire, I sat upon each of them. Mystics and cultists have long made always part of their teachings. In general, I maintain that aura is an energy field that surrounds the human body. 
and generally divide into seven layers and complex interplay of seven colours. The first colour is called commonly called Laeraveric layer. It is usually associated with a person's health. Yeah, but next layer is a spiritual layer, indicates a person's thoughts and emotions. But bear in mind this is just a generalization and appears to rely on each individual viewer to interpret. Interpretation is abundant, as sites are claimed to help you see auras by performing various exercises. There are various devices that can be found, such as calum photography, which uses high voltage, high frequency, low amperage electrical fields to capture images on the film that claim, claim to be uh, indicate auras. And on eBay and Amazon, aura glasses have been purchased, are based supposedly on the work of Dr. Walter J. Kellner. He discovered an apparent human filter aura that could be viewed by using the filter that made ultraviolet light visible. Last, last not least, there are apps from iPhone and Android phones that claim to make the auras visible. All these claims could be viewed solely for entertainment. As a friend of mine once said, if someone on the internet tells you it's raining, you better stick your hand at the window and see if it, if it gets wet. In short, the profession perception of auras is not a recent development. Received and described through history all over the world. Well, the real meanings associated with auras may lie simply. Most of us agree that auras consist of several layers. Each of them can be different colour. The colours reflect mental and emotional states of personal traits. It's also sometimes seen as better enlightenment of spiritual development. Spooky podcasts to listen to. Spirits. About a boozy weekend weekly podcast about mythology, legends, folklore. Hear fresh takes on classic myths and learn new stories from around the world. Served over ice, over ice of two tipsy heroes, three Greeks. Podcastspiritspodcast.com Booze and Spirits Belair and Vesanessa talk haunted happenings with drunken twists. Find them wherever you listen to the podcast, a paranormal podcast where two goals tote haunts while sipping cocktails. Booze and Spirit Podcast Spirits Guides Radio Spirit Guides Magazine is your source for inspired learning, development and connection. Self-love. Our mission makes spirituality accessible to soul-searchers who want to deepen their spiritual practice and to cut new maps for all souls. Whether you're a pilgrim of soul or a worldly lovenderless or both, we are there to finally attune to a compass. Spiritualguidesmagazine.com High Spirit Chicago High Spirit Chicago is a podcast dedicated to talking about all things ghosts. Host of Chicago's very own Nicolette Smith and Jay Sigerman. SoundCloud.com Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. Join our host, Willie Hansel, Lauren Nicholson, for weekly radio hosts covering show covering all subjects of the paranormal world, which weekly guests from around the world. Ghosts Spirits, UFO, and Encounters Bigfoot. This is a show where the paranormal comes to normal. To join us on a journey to the unknown, unseen, and the unthinkable. Paranormal Talk Stream Live. Co. Spirit Series. Conversation about spiritual paranormal experiences hosted by Karina Machido 
Authors, Spirit Sisters, is a non-fiction collection of Australian women's true life spooky experience. It's moving, thought-provoking and chilling. Spirit Sisters, the podcast, Pod B. The Haunted Ride, a podcast to help you embrace all the paranormal spiritual things that might happen throughout this journey we call life. The host shares the experience of ghosts, demons, angels, hauntings, possessions, attachments, aliens and cryptids, as well as what it's like to be a psychic, medium, empath, intuitive, how to listen to messages from the universe. TheHauntedRide.com Big Secrets Forecast Patrick Keller of the Big Secrets invites you to join the open discussion on all things paranormal, but specifically topics like ghosts, hauntings, paranormal research, spirit communication, psychics and mediums, and life after death. A candles around you lit. So come in and join the seance. Big com On the odd paranormal interview podca- show Hosted by my stage and new guests in each episode who talk about their haunting experiences of ghosts and the spirit world. Join Mark as he takes a serious, non-judgmental approaching and most intriguing conversations with experts globally. Toys about compulsory areas of paranormal, supernatural, demonic, spiritual investigation, haunted houses, possessions, spiritual people in Spain and more. The odd or dot all dot com. A funny feeling. Comedians of paranormal enthusiasts, Betsy Sardaro and Messia Gerraro, invite their, com- their comedy friends, celebrity ghosts, to tell their true paranormal experiences. And here's spooky tale stories submitted by listeners. Headgum.com That's a spirit, a ghost enthusiast, Stephanie Robin. Fond of scary movies, shares and talks about spirits. Join him, Ghostly Good Time, by hearing their podcasts. SoundCloud.com Castle of the Spirits Audio Ghost Stories Audio Ghost and Spirit Stories about a renowned paranormal website. Tune in to hear and experience a ghostly good time for yourself. CastleofSpirits.podbeam.com Supernatural Girls, where the paranormal is normal. The guests, guests include... Worldwide, interviewed by paranormal experts, supernatural girls, Patricia Baker, and her co-hosts, guests from the world and others. BlogTalkRadio.com Life's treasures and golden moments. The sharing of true stories of a miracle inspiration, the life to lift a human spirit and inspire the motivation, positive action in life's history journey we are delighted that we have take, chosen to take make us part of your journey miraclesleslesbian.com sometimes cold London the heritage of uh, highly unusual it's the latest cinematic project the herb Lester's associations a woody pub is guys to just about everything can be plotted from close to London to Uncle London this new fold-out map points out 59 sites of historic interest across the capital. Love is the love from the first text we find upon opening the weird package. It's not a reference to ninth, ninth busy first song ever written by John Squire, but rather catchphrase of Alex Crowley. Crowley remains, of course, the towering figure of Gold London. Its wide-eyed likeness glares out from the centre of the map. It's one of in one of his silly hats, 
and pops her over a town like a demon on an oyster card. All the sights you expect of the gold London rat are here, from the Atlantis bookshop to the Mesolithic temple on London Street to the castles of Nicholas Helpsmore. You learn a lot too. Greenwich Park, we read, is a home of waterfall water fountain built by members of ancient stone circle. The world's end pub is Cinnamon. Camden is built on a land once owned by a witch, whose husband met a grisly end in the oven. Charing Cross Road at Wingwell was home to Gerald Gardner, who played his part in the war, stage by effort by staging a musical magical assault on the mind of Alfred Hitler in nineteen forty. The map details the twelfth century history but it's bang up to date by inclusion of such gems as Welcome Collection, the Victor Weird, Willard Museum Currencies. It's everything you need to explore London's mystical, magical, outworldly site. Just don't expect to find Harry Potter, a cult Londoner, a guy to unusual, highly unusual. He's out there from Herb Lester, price £12, signed by Brian Brewer, written by Kate Hodges, and insert a magical camp. By tree car. The story of Helen Duncan, who was jailed in witchcraft in 1944, certainly cast a spell on people. And it has been announced that there's half a street in her hometown of Canada named after her. Her family says Haddish Nell, as she became known, was not a witch, was a wonderful medium in the 30s and 40s. While others say she's a fool, so made cash holding sentences that she wasn't very good at. Helen's psychic tendencies seem to have been there from childhood. Born in 1997, Victorian Helen McFarlane was said to readily predict doom and devastation. Among the six, a married to Henry Duncan, she encouraged by Henry to make money from her clairvoyant abilities. She'd read tea leaves and make predictions for cash. After moving to Edinburgh, of science had become widely known, Helen was making a good living selling a spiritualism. At the show, she wild villainses by producing aphorism from her mouth. She agreed to summon the spirit guide, Peggy, who materialised behind the curtain. In 1928, a photographer used flash photography to call Duncan in action. This, these revealed Peggy to be a clumsy debris wrapped in a sheet. Where the London spiritualists at edge lights investigated Duncan's claims, they found the ecloprism she regurgitated, made a cheesecloth, paper, red white, a toilet paper. She later elaborated on this performance by adding rubber gloves and cut off heads from magazine covers, claiming they were spirits. At an ember of science, one of the stators grabbed Peggy, who was then discovered to be made from a child's vest. The former maid and husband both admitted to help her helping her prepare the different tricks and effects she used in seances. Helen was first investigated in 1941, then during a seance in Plumsworth. She claimed the spirit of a sailor told her that the HMS Barham had been sunk, a fatal ship which sunk off the coast of the Crete by a German submarine had been kept secret. Only the families of 862 crew men killed had been informed. It was not announced publicly to deny at 1942, the Navy then took an interest in the sciences and were not impressed with what they found. At one of the cities, a white cloth figure behind a curtain claimed to be the lieutenant's dead aunt. He didn't have a dead aunt. Later on, another ghostly figure announced herself as his sister. His sister was very much alive.
After the investigating attendant reported Duncan to the police, they began their own investigation. The white fabric figure turned out to be a medium himself. It emerged that a revelation about HMS Barkham had come from another source. Duncan was initially arrested under the Veracracy Act and started tried by magistrates. A case was then upgraded and eventually charged her for the Witchcraft Act under the Witchcraft Act of 1835. The COVID faulted spiritual activity was tried by jury. Helen was convicted in 1944 and was imprisoned in Holloway. She served six months of her sentence before she being released in 1945. Despite promising and stopped conducting seances, she was arrested during another one in 1956. She died later that year. Now, Fanny Hope, a proposed Duncan Drive, is a new state in Permature Town help to claim her reputation. Her granddaughter, Henry Margaret Hayne, said, I can't change what happened to my grand or our family, but I can continue to work on a graduacy as a wonderful medium. I would be honoured to have a street named after my grandma. Many individuals visit at Clanlander every year, just because this is where Helen Duncan is born. A plan for Helen for Duncan Drive consoles her proposal for a memorial to all Scottish witches and fife. Five Council meets wants to rebuild a beam of rock in navigation beacon, which is moved to build a new bridge across the Forth, at a site where Lewis Adelaide was burned in seventeen oh four. Typical writer Sharon Sharon Sarah Sheldon, author of Where or Women Belong but welcomes the move to honour Duncan and memory of all the Scots and branded witches. She said, I think it's great, but nobody, our prominent women's legacy is beginning to be normalised in our own in our own built environment. It's really important that women's achievements are immobilised, and this is done in the same way we, um, we memorise men's lives. Crystal Girl was born on an idea the best way to bring when it's a plight the poor was through story. Dickens was writing pamphlets and essays, but they're not always ways to reach people's hearts. People love stories. A few weeks earlier, his friend Baroness Burnett Coops had considered donating a system of religious inspired schools called known as the Ragged Schools. She'd asked Dickens if he would visit the school at Stratham, Stratham Hill in London and relay his impressions. Dickens was shocked when he saw I have seldom seen in all the strange and dreadful things I've seen in London and elsewhere, anything so shocking as dire and neglect of soul and body exhibited in these children to these children. Mackenzie Dickens, page one one three forty four one forty four. Charles Dickens. It was his personal experience that booted Dickens with a sense of duty to help the poor. During growing up his London father John Dickens was a prison, Malaysian debtor prison, and Charles was forced to leave school and work in a blacking factory. Before the Black Safety Act of 1869, debtors in London were brutally imprisoned and hedged their creditors. Memories of the buried would haunt Dickens for the rest of his life. Though he loved his father, he saw in him a cold hearted miser, inspiring the drill characters of Ebenezer Scrooge. Cold in him froze, his old features nipped his old pointed nose, with his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly his grating voice, Charles Dickens. Victorian London experienced an economic boom, but one that left the poor behind. 
Moving to London in search of opportunities, a harsh and daring life, the country may become disappointed, dissoluted, disillusioned, desolate. The industry revolution brought huge wealth to a tiny percentage of the population, majority escaping a living in damp, noisy factories and cramped, filthy slums. Dickens and the Baroness felt that education was the solution. Lisa gave hope to the poorest of the families, and their children might one day break the mould of poverty and join the raising middle class on a Saffron Hill ragged school still playing on his mind. In October 1843, Dickens visited a working man's institution, industrial city of Manchester, London, England. It was there where Dickens had a regular moment. Instead of writing a journalistic piece of the plate of the poor, he'd write a ghost story, a Christmas carol. Though the story Dickens asked for people to recognise the plate of those, those who the industrial revolution had a place and driven to poverty, operation of society, provided them humanity. Critical praise poured in. A tale to make the reader laugh and cry, to open his hands, to open his heart, to try to even forward and think charitable. A daily men daily dish to set before King, London Literary Magazine, Afrofrenum. A national belief, benefit to every man and woman who reads it. It's a personal kindness, Michael William Makepeace, Thackeray in Fraser's Magazine, brings the old Christmas of the bygone centuries and manor houses in the living rooms of port of today, the New York Times. Scottish writer Margaret Affert described it as a new gospel. The impact was astonishing. In spring of 1994, there was a sudden burst of charitable giving in London. Scottish philosopher and writer Thomas Carlyle stayed two Christmas dinners before reading the book. After attending a reading of the Christmas Eve in Boston, Massachusetts, in 1867, Mr. Fairbanks closed his factory on Christmas Day and sent every employee to Turkey. British stage actor Sir Squire Bancroft raised £2,000 for the poor by reading Christmas Carol out in the public. While today's information revolution replacing many likelihoods, the story is relevant as it was for Charles Dickens. In advocating the humanizing focus, Christmas holiday, Charles Dickens influenced many aspects of people we know today. And one of the most influential stories you're ever going to read and is considered one of the greatest ghost stories of all time. That's why it's been included in this episode of The Ghost Man Show. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show, and I thank you for listening. Thank you. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.